All right, Jim, everyone. Um, today we have with us Wilson from Lobby. Um, Lobby is a knowledge management um, database, if you will, for crypto, Web3, most um, specifically DAOs. And, um, you know, obviously that expands as, as, as it goes on. We have Wilson and Matthew here, so both of them will bring them on stage as soon as they are able to speak. All right, cool, awesome. I'm sure everyone, you know, will join in at some point. Uh, let's hit the ground running. So we have Matthew and Wilson here. Both are um, builders and contributors to the the lobby um, product. Uh, you know, I'll just let them do justice with introducing themselves because I'm pretty sure I can't do anything close to what they'll do. So we'll have, we'll start with Wilson, and then you know Matthew will follow right after. So Wilson, please hit the ground running and just tell us about yourself, um, what you do. And then Matthew can take over from there. Hey guys, uh, thanks so much for having me. My name is Wilson, the founder of Lobby. Um, I'm an engineer, product-focused person, um, and I am currently serving as the CEO at Lobby. Awesome. Thank you very much, Matthew. Hey, uh, my name is Matthew. I'm working with Wilson on Lobby, and we've been working together on it uh, since last year. Dope. Okay, cool. So quick question, which I'm pretty sure everyone is, you know, curious about, right? Okay, so what exactly is Lobby, right? I know yesterday we had um, an explain like a vibe session where Wilson walked us through like, you know, practically what Lobby does. And um, you could say that was for a particular audience, but here we are on Twitter, you know, a handful of us have no idea what Lobby is. So if you don't mind, um, what is Lobby and uh, why do we have Lobby? So whoever's the most enthusiastic can answer the question, honestly. Um, you know, so Wilson, if you want to take a stab at that. Yeah, so Lobby is kind of spun out of the need that I experienced when I was at Gitcoin. Uh, we're basically, uh, they're one of the best styles that exists today, but it just, it was still a really difficult experience to onboard and contribute and find new opportunities and uh, to keep our governance involved. So. I kind of want to build a place that is like the homepage for your DAO that has like the, the resources that newcomers need to start getting involved as well as veterans and governments to find new opportunities and to make better decisions. Awesome. Cool. Matthew, um, what is your approach and your perspective to that and, and how, how, how would you answer the question? Yeah, I think that uh, Lobby to me was uh, something that really interested me about the idea was that um, we were really tackling uh, information asymmetry and uh, tackling a lot of the problems that DAOs are facing. One of the things that um, troubled me when I was trying to get into Web3 last year was that there were so many projects that I felt um, I really wanted to help out on, but not all of them, like I couldn't help out on all of them. And so working for Lobby um, has kind of allowed me to um, enable many DAOs at the same time to to do what they love. And um, that's why I like it. Awesome, cool. You know, um, while you were speaking, I remember when we had but uh, you know, one of the things you said that stood out is remembering when I was getting into Web3, right? Same thing, but mine was particularly different, I think. Mine was I'm having a, you could say, single knowledge base where I could learn anything and everything I wanted to learn about Web3. It felt like things were rather fragmented. And a lot of like the information I got, the knowledge I got was just by watching a shit ton of YouTube videos. 
um, and just like consuming stuff um, randomly, I would say, you know, there, there wasn't a particular structure to to any of that. And I, I suppose if, if lobby existed, you know, back back then in 2020, my my learning process, perhaps as much as you know, everyone else might have been a lot more structured and, and you know, less chaotic, you could say. <laughs> yeah, that would be the goal for sure. Awesome, cool. So, um, you know, I, you know, right now, Lobby is in public beta. Is there, or what, when is like the timeline for, you know, alpha release and when it's like a fully launched product? Right. Well, we, we just launched public beta uh, recently. And so uh, we have no immediate plans to come out of that, but the um, product is fully functional and it's um, open to the public to start their own community and, uh, or just learn from Lobby, uh, see what we have already on our knowledge base, see where they can contribute. Mm. All right, cool. Okay, so we'll, uh, I, I suppose it's basically iterating on everything that currently works and trying to figure out what people need and solving that. And, you know, we talked about this, Wilson and I and, and the, the crew talked about it yesterday concerning um, it's it, the most important thing is figuring out what people want. So I suppose it makes sense that the next step isn't, oh, you know, we're in beta now and we push the alpha just because, as opposed to figuring out what, um, you know, everyone is talking about, what people are enjoying the most about lobby and working on making that the best possible version that exists. Yeah. And that's been something that's um, been amazing working at Lobby so far is we've partnered with some amazing customers that give us really good uh, feedback. And mm. so it's been iterating has been really awesome. And we keep building features um, based off of what customers want rather than what um, engineers think is cool, um, mm. which is usually uh, a good way to do it. Yes, hundred percent. You know, speaking of that, it was something Wilson talks about yesterday. You know, focusing on what people want as opposed to what you know everyone else is hyped about, and from a technical perspective, because um, you know we could even in crypto and Web three, for example, from a much more functional standpoint, there's still a lot to be done. But everyone is is excited and enthusiastic about the technology, which is which is cool. You know, which is also what will help drive mass adoption. But um, it's not the time to build. I saw a tweet. Yeah, I saw a tweet where someone tweeted and said, we need to build for the average user, not someone who can read the Ether scan and stuff like that, something along those lines. And I thought that was so true, especially in crypto. It's not about the enthusiasts in the house. It's more so about people who have no idea what crypto is, but it solves a particular need. And that needs it solves it so well, it transforms their lives. So, um, yeah. It's to put aside, you could say, the needs of or the the enthusiasm to to work with high end technology and solve actual actual problems. Yeah, and that can be tough sometimes because, mm. um, like, I'm an engineer, and so the technical problems in Web three is part of what brought me into the industry and part mm. of what just interests me so much about the industry, and so um, I kind of need to pull myself back and make sure I'm not thinking like we're doing something too technically crazy um, that's mm. kind of a little too far out of scope. Um, I, I need to always be kind of reining that in. Mm. That is cool. So um, how would you say that has um, shaped your growth as an engineer, considering that 
um, you need to almost, almost, well, simplify things to its like most simplest form from a functional perspective as opposed to from a, you know, um, you know, technical perspective. Right. Yeah, my perspective has definitely changed massively, especially in the past month at Lobby. I've moved from a uh, fully engineering focused role to more of a growth engineering role. And so mm -hmm. I've had to take more of an outside view into what we're doing and, and if it's um, the top priority thing to be um, to the company right now and to the product. And so um, it's really expanded my skills on, on being able to um, really choose a direction of, of where Lobby's going. Mm. Cool. So what are some of the um, perhaps technical, and this might be a question for, for Wilson, right? Perhaps technical product-led design idea that led the design for lobby right like what are the what were the maybe even feedbacks right or the steps that we're taking backwards to say how do we make this the most functional product that anyone can use and make sense of yeah so really to make it something that anyone can use that's kind of a, a fallacy in its own right Right, because yeah, uh, we, it's, a, a, it's a bit of a reach, you could say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what product is for every single user? Uh, so, we that was that was actually something I struggled with for a long time. It was like trying to really pick out who that target user is. So, we had to kind of zero in on kind of two cohorts, and they're kind of diametrically opposed. One of them is super crypto native people uh because we want you to figure it out on lobby so it has to be feature rich enough uh in order for you as a crypto native user to not feel like it's just a, another thing with a wallet connect mm. but on the other hand we also want to be the place where newcomers can come to get involved in web3 without having to buy anything i think writing is one of those really unique things that just about anyone can do without permission uh and if you can do it to earn crypto, that's another way to get more and more people into the space without having to, you know, put up capital and invest in, in shit coins. So um, those are kind of the two user groups I was thinking about when I was designing. And, and to kind of make it as robust of a product as we could, we really wanted to kind of split the difference. Um, and I we took a kind of product-led design approach where um, as an engineer and designer, I was able to kind of scope out the designs really tightly and tell the engineering team exactly what we wanted. And then they could take that spec and run with it. And since I'm both an engineer and a designer, that's proved to be a really useful skill to be able to kind of break down the designs into more manageable pieces. Cool. Awesome. So, um, Matthew, how did you find that um, approach? Like, um, from a technical perspective, were any of the designs that needed to be implemented, were they rather, um, some of them might have been novel, but were they rather difficult and perhaps technically challenging? I suppose I should preface that parami with asking, um, what's, do you handle a lot of the front end or, you know, the back end or, you know, is it a full stack type thing? Right. Yeah. All of our engineers are full stack engineers. And so, okay. um, yeah, but, uh, working on that has been, um, sorry, uh, what was the question? 
Yeah, so some of the product-led um, decisions, right, where which one of them or were they particularly technically challenging and, um, you know, uh, were there stuff you were looking forward to working on? Right. Yeah, it's been uh, really interesting. It's been a, a bit of a mixed bag on that front. Um, a lot of our work has been kind of figuring out and iterating on things, um, but the actual uh, implementations themselves aren't um, overly complex or anything. Um, mm -hmm. We do have some, um, uh, like we, we spend a lot of time trying to get um, everything really tidied. Um, we mm -hmm. use Next for um, platform and so um, there's been some technical challenges uh, just making sure that we've got all of our server size rendering all um, up to snuff um, mm. but for the most part things uh, don't get too crazy technically challenging um, until we get into more of the web3 primitive um, things and, and more of the novel parts of the product that we're building that's when we've spent like weeks architecting and then going back into the drawing board and um, really pulling out all the stops to figure out how we can uh, put these things together the best way. Yeah, the engineering team might say otherwise, but uh, I definitely intended for the designs not to be super technically complicated because kind of what we believe at Lobby is that uh, iteration needs to just happen as fast as possible. Lately, we've been shipping once a day with like rapid prototyping sprints for the last couple weeks uh and the engineering team is tired so we're gonna take a three-day weekend next week but mm. <laughs> um but like that's just how important iteration is it's not uh taking the perfect shot at the number of shots on goal and the bigger problem i think with design is that uh or like creating designs into code is that and iteration on design is just dragging some stuff around but iteration on code actually requires deploying engineers to go fix stuff so it becomes 10 times more expensive to turn design into code. And then again, if it actually ends up in production affecting customers, we have to do support, we have to retrain people. Uh, and so it becomes 10 times more expensive again to iterate in production. So uh, we're trying to kind of like split the difference between internal iteration. And we may, one might argue, even spent too much time on the internal iteration, which is why our public beta is now and not a couple months ago. But uh, we still do get some really useful feedback, and it brought us to where we are here. So um, that was definitely kind of our goal: is like simple design so we can iterate on the important stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think um, you know, to an extent, it's function over form, right? Get it to work. We can figure out how it looks and like all of the other stuff later. As long as it works works well, it serves the user base. We can move from there. I disagree. I think actually in Web3, UX is so bad. Having good UX like Lobby is a huge leg up. <laughs> Interesting. And Dapless. Dapless website is actually pretty sexy, not going to lie. But yeah, it is. Most it projects is. in Web3 are just like uh, HTML pages and <laughs> have no design. So for exchanges and stuff like a Dex, I think it works. But mm. as people are starting to build more Daps, uh, I think the ones that are best designed are going to be the ones that win because that's just what consumers are used to. Mm. And with Web3, I think it goes beyond um, just really nice looking pretty design. It also goes into intuitive, less um, easy barrier to entry type design. So it's a better user experience as opposed to everything else. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So speaking of technical, you know, things and things that were perhaps, you know, interesting to build, um, can you talk to us about how integrating the GP3, GPT3 search into Lobby and how 
that solves or how that works, you know, internally. Wilson, you want to take that one? Sure. Um, I was waiting for you to see um, but yeah, so GPT-3 search, uh, that's probably one of our most beloved features and definitely one of my favorites. Um, so basically, for those that don't know, Lobby has a really powerful search engine built in. So as you're building docs for your DAO or community, uh, we index all those with GPT-3. And then that enables you to then go ask a question to your own Lobby documentation. And you can even get an answer back. And so we partnered with a friend of mine. His name is Morgan. And their company is called Operant. And they're basically searching a box for devs like me. So searches are notoriously hard technical problem. Uh, and Algolia is currently kind of the leading thing, but it kind of sucks as any developers in the audience will probably know. So I knew that we wanted to have the best search experience, uh, not only in web three, but in the universe. So we went with Operand. So, um, that like search engine is available out of the box for free for everyone that uses lobby and, um, and the GPT three is kind of handled by them as well. So it's a great kind of vendor relationship we have. Uh, it's always cool to work with your friends, startups, wherever you can. So um, that's definitely making it easier to build together as well and kind of freeing up some of the work we have to do so we can focus on the really important stuff like our uh, our design and the uh, the collaboration features. Hmm. That's cool. Um, Matthew, you know, I'd like to listen to your thoughts on that as well. Sure, yeah. Searches... Uh, um... It's been really cool for me to see um, kind of the questions that people answer and can get uh, or can ask and get answers to. Um, and so uh, just it adds a lot of uh, or saves a lot of time uh, contextual searching um, because rather than searching through the notion or wherever information is stored, um, it's been working for me to just uh, search things up in the lobby base and then our operand uh, engine finds it for us. So um, it's been really awesome. Mm, all right. So how how well do you think, um, you know, and, I, and you're already working with a couple of DAOs and you have a couple of customers and you know, it's only going to scale up from there. But how well do you think lobby serves um, the purpose of, you know, fragmented um, knowledge database um, as it pertains to DAO as opposed to something like, let's say Notion, right? Even, you know, granted, there's still um, the data and everything that is, exists needs to be curated by someone or a group of people. But um, what would you say, how, how well would you say Lobby is going to compete well against Notion? And compete, I use it loosely, right? But I think you sort of get the general idea of, of the question. Yeah, I think Notion right now is kind of, who we may view as somewhat of a competitor, but as we mm -hmm. grow as a company, um, we really don't think that uh, it'll still kind of be a competition for too long, just mm. because we do things that are Web3 native. And so um, Notion just doesn't work for Web3 communities. They have mm. um, paper seat pricing and, um, and just no, no token gated access, no, um, Web3 support. And so when we look mm -hmm. at uh, kind of what we expect to be competing against, um, Notion uh, doesn't, um, Notion serves Web2 very well, mm -hmm. but uh, it really doesn't, doesn't do well for Web3, we find. 
Yeah, not only have our uh, customers said that Notion makes them angry, uh, for the reasons that you mentioned, but there's also kind of a underlying uh, ideological differentiation that I think that Notion will never pull out of because they're already very successful. Mm. And that is um, that Notion believes in uh, like an operating system for work, which is mm. great. Work is kind of a private place. It's a that's a uh, you're like have NDAs and confidentiality, so you have to make that place private. But at Lobby, we know that the best work happens when people work together. And so we intentionally designed the product for network effects and, and, and collaboration across DAOs, not only within DAOs. So that means that every knowledge base is public by default, but of course you can make it private if you want to. Um, and it means that we design things for cross-DAO collaboration, because that's something that's going to happen a lot in the next few years so not only does uh lobby kind of like do all the great things that notion can do today but uh we're also really zeroing in on kind of collaboration across communities um and we'll be working on that for the next year because lobby is less than a year old so uh mm. there's a lot of great improvements coming over the next uh lifetime of the product and team <laughs> yeah for forever, sure. hopefully. sorry say that again i said forever hopefully Yes, uh, there's still so much to do, and you know, lobby so relatively early. And I suppose this, this, you know, gets me curious as to, you know, what are some of the more future plans or goals or you know milestones that lobby has in store for like its users, its customers, and some of the things we should be excited about. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I have a lot to talk about, but I don't know what I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> you want to take that? Yeah, we have the information handbook, Matthew. So if there's anything we're launching in the next couple of weeks that you're excited about, I think that's safe to talk about. Yeah, thinking kind of longer term, um, we believe in DAOs. Um, we believe in Web3, but also we believe... I started this company because I believe in DAOs. And I believe in what the tech can do for people who work all over the world. So that's where I'm going to be kind of putting my focus uh, on the longer term is like, what do we actually need to build for DAOs to come to fruition in their best way? Because uh, right now we're seeing a lot of kind of centralized companies. Um, I think Vitalik might have called them DAX, which is great. You're using the, the blockchain as a way to incorporate, but uh, for all intents and purposes, it's still running like a normal company, and the tech provides so many more opportunities for permissionless work. Um, so that's where I want to kind of spend most of my focus, but also thinking about that operating system level uh, for keeping DAOs working together and, and operating smoothly, regardless of how involved like management is. Mm. Speaking of DAOs, it uh, reminded me of a, a a rather interesting meme I saw, uh, and I just shared it up on the Twitter space thing. You know, you can take a look at the way I you know, talk about it. Is, uh, you, know, you know, talking about how you believe in DAOs, and I think that's important, how exactly do you think DAOs will shape how we work in the future, right, from from a functional perspective and uh, properly incentivizing contributors. That's a funny meme. <laughs> um, zooming out a little bit, it's not about incentivizing contributors, but developing the game structure. So mm -hmm. for a long time, maybe the last 10, 15 years or so, uh, the internet, people have been talking about gamification as a way to make sticky products. Mm -hmm. And in Web3, that becomes trivial. Like, everything's gamified by default. 
Um, mm. Bitcoin is often said to be the world's biggest bug bounty program because if you have Bitcoin, you're an instant hundred millionaire. Mm. Um, so if you do, if you're in the audience and you hack Bitcoin and I gave you the idea, slide some of that my way. <laughs> but the idea is uh, we can use these tokens and reputation tokens and uh, utility tokens or whatever you want uh, to model games. So for us, uh, WikiDAO is going to be launching here in the next few weeks. And the game is you write, you get tokens, but oh, don't write the right, the wrong thing or else you're going to get moderated away and you're going to lose your bounty. So the incentive becomes, well, I don't want to lose my bounty and do all this work slash spam just to lose it. So mm. I'm going to contribute something of value. And on the editor side, it becomes uh, there's an incentive to moderate stuff away, but then if it has to go to court and uh, they get decided against, they lose that moderation and they spend like a lot of time and energy moderating for nothing so by building this kind of simple game right the i just told you all the rules of wikidao it's very simple um but the ability for anyone to come in and participate just by learning these rules and then uh doing some action on the internet uh presents a really cool opportunity for a truly autonomous DAO that doesn't just control a DeFi protocol so i'm thinking about kind of what infrastructure can we build uh to support that kind of DAO. That is trying to be fully autonomous, uh, that has some sort of repository it's working against, um, but can kind of grow and amalgamate and, and network together over time um, in a way that kind of an ordinary company can't. All right. That is interesting. Um, just a quick break and to encourage everyone in the audience, if you have any question, if you have any you know, insights, anything you'd like to talk about, please raise your hand and we'll invite you off on the audience. And you can just like, you know, we can go off and just have fun with this conversation. Um, so yeah, just a reminder, if you have anything you want to say, you can request to speak and we'll bring you up. So still on the subject of DAOs, um, you know, again, it's it's one of the many things and you mentioned Gitcoin being one of the really you know cool DAOs out there in, in Web3. I suppose I'm curious as to how you think or you know what your thoughts are as to moving organizations to be completely autonomous and decentralized like is that something that is is one necessary right two um you know possible and i know as an absolute probably not because not everything can be decentralized and perhaps not everything should be decentralized um but yeah you know what are your thoughts about that Matthew, before i jump in do you have any thoughts you go ahead on this one okay um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, uh, I think we, the big lesson of 2021, 2022 is, uh, is that not everything should be decentralized because, uh, a, from like a UX perspective, but B, it's just not practical or necessary. People don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, we believe that decentralization is good when you don't need, when you need trust, but can't get it from someone. And that's really what the blockchain is great for. You can trust the code. And we seem to all kind of collective amnesia about that because now we're trying to put everything on chain. And so from a composability perspective, it's good. So if we're using NFTs and ERC-20s and standards and we're building that out, um, that is a great use of blockchain because then you can plug that into financial infrastructure and it becomes very powerful. But decentralizing the whole company, um, when you could just have a company issuing tokens, it seems like extra steps. Um, and what we're seeing, and, and the reason the lobby is not a DAO, is because I recognized that kind of early on and said, not everything is going to be a DAO, and it's going to be much easier to turn our company into a DAO once we have some product market fit um, and extra money in the bank 
than just trying to start a DAO outright. Because when you do that, you have to solve not only the problems that your company and your mission are, but you also have to solve problems that are unique to DAOs because you're a DAO. So yeah, so so not everything should be a DAO. Is it even practical? Probably not. Because mm-hmm. like, imagine if every uh, decision at the DAP list had to be made by governance. It's just not practical. So right. kind of the evolution of DAOs for the last uh, year and a half or so has been, okay, flat hierarchies are the best. We're just going to do governance and then we're going to make decisions and then do it. Quickly, mm-hmm. people were like, okay, flat hierarchies aren't going to work. What if we institute managers? Uh, now governance tells managers what to do. But now we're seeing the problem of governance doesn't actually tell the company what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no legal obligation to do what governance says. <laughs> so that kind of defeats the point of even having governance on chain. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are in DAOs right now. And so I think the best way to do it is just is to build systems that don't require anyone to do anything. They can right. kind of sit on their own, that they're autonomous, um, and then they can use people to accomplish the goals of the system and incentivize them accordingly. That's going to be kind of the best use case for a DAO and why I think protocol DAOs are kind of today's most successful DAOs because they have arms that write grants, um, and, but mostly they exist to, to uh, modify the protocol that they govern. Right. Yeah, no, um, 100% with the idea that maybe not everything should be decentralized. And, um, you know, it was it was really wise move to just figure out, okay, maybe Lobby doesn't need to be a DAO. And uh, there's just so many problems you have, you have to solve because it's a DAO as opposed to shipping and building products that everyone needs. And what should be a DAO should be a DAO, and what doesn't need to be a DAO shouldn't. Exactly. If it can exist without... If it can exist without millions of worldwide decentralized uh, contributors between borders, um, then it might be best not to. But mm-hmm. if you're thinking about hyperstructures, you're thinking about um, these ab- just giant aggregates that require lots of human capital and can kind of be turned into these rules-based games, that is a fantastic opportunity uh, to, to start it down. Yeah, no, um, that that does make sense, and and you know one of the other interesting, and, and I think one of the things you find out and you discover when you work with human at that scale is that perhaps not everyone is interested in making that many decisions, right? Is interested in having the power to make that much decisions. Like you know, you guys just do what you need to do to get into work. I'm just like here when you need me, and um, you know, with governance, it's like oh, you have to participate. It's like yeah, no, not really. I don't want to, <laughs> and and that is you know mostly the case, especially. To, I mean, if we bring it down to like even uh, you know the traditional sense where we exist, we like voting and like contributing what you have to do with getting who needs to be in power to be in power. It's like yeah, no, you know, I don't need to vote. It probably doesn't count. And it's in it in human nature to want to um, take ourselves out of, like, the responsibility bit. It's like, you guys make the decisions, so I don't have to partake in the consequences. Yeah, that was a... That reminds me of a tweet someone said a few weeks ago, which was like, uh, if only you knew about the number of people who worked at DAOs and did nothing. <laughs> worked full-time for a DAO, they have responsibilities... Um, and they just sit around kind of talking about how great DAOs are and not mm. doing anything. Mm. Um, so, like, yeah, it's it. that's what you expect with, with hype technology and hype mm. stuff in general. There are going to be people who do that. The bear market, we say, is, like, where the builders really stick around. So when mm. DAOs have their own bear market, which may or may not coincide with the rest of the, the kind of macro economy, um, mm. 
some people are going to be less high and dry. And unfortunately, my like, I'm upset because it's also going to be, you know, perfectly good communities that couldn't generate the hype that are generating mm-hmm. output. That is kind of the the problem of our times. Just have attention and productivity, and often people who have one don't have the other. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Also, a, a I think it was one of it was a snippet from the backlash interview with um, uh, Vitalik where he was talking about. Um, a couple projects that you know they don't particularly have like the marketing, the hype, and everything in there, but they're actually solving a very useful problem with the I think ERC four nine nine six, I think is what he calls it, and um, you know that's like what we have, the problems we have right now. It's like oh hey, everyone is talking about this project and it must be the shit, and it turns out no, there's actually no product being built. It's just simply marketing hype and actually trying to get the token out there and and just taking people's money. And um, it's very interesting, and it, it's something we need to pay attention to. And you, know, you could say the bear market has been a blessing and a curse in that regard, right? Right. It's reminded all of the veterans that, yep, scams do show up. Um, <laughs> and all of the newcomers, hey, by the way, nothing's changed yet. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a, a rough time, but, uh, you know, if we keep building, that's the most important thing. People that leave and go to web two or back to competing in web two again, web three will come back. Mm. You know, if you're, if we've watched the fourth cycle and you don't think crypto is going to come back a fifth time, that's, <laughs> I, I don't think we're quite a mass adoption yet. And I think yeah. most people will agree with me. So, um, that's just the time to focus and build, you know, mm-hmm. get a job, work on the nighttime, build some cool stuff, launch it. Um, yeah. and then once you get some traction that like, you can find money. That's the thing. Like, from what I've heard, I I did my preseed in the bull market, so we haven't quite gotten around to seed yet. So I'll update mm. you when I have more information. Mm. But um, the money vacuum hasn't really hit preseed and seed funding yet um, mm. on the venture side. So if you have like they're going to have more scrutiny, there's probably going to do like mm. background checks and some due diligence and like, hey, how's your traction? Who's this for? Uh, they're not going to throw money at the wall and see if it sticks. But if you have product and traction. Uh, and team, that that's, that's like that's good enough for early stage, right? That like yeah. if you have uh, great traction on the team, product, and sales, those are really kind of the big three things. Um, then you can get through some early stage capital and uh, mm-hmm. you can get some time to build and build a team and build out your uh, your product. So that's where we are right now. And like I said, I'll update you if that's uh, still true <laughs> here in a couple months. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure um, by the time Ventures, uh, you know, see the value proposition of the lobby, yeah, they'll be writing you guys a couple of checks. I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you all. Um, so, so you know, um, t- you were talking about, you know, um, we're we not being close to mass adoption yet. And, you know, I think that is so true. Over here in, in Nigeria, where I stay, crypto is solving a shit ton of problems and, like, it's 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 mind blowing, right? There's so many problems that are yet to be solved. You know, at a point, from a fintech perspective, Web two, I thought, you know, what 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 more could there be to build, right? <clears throat> there are products that are doing X, Y, and Z, solving actual problems, and then crypto comes in and then it completely changes how you um, you could improve, you could say how you are able to interact and get paid and get compensated without having to rely on all of the what the, the limitations that fiat comes with right and it's just been it's been a beautiful um experience and from a financial monetary perspective a lot of problems are being you know solved right now right and then even from a functional perspective like um tools and building tools that are more useful 
to to the to the ecosystem yeah we still have a very very long way to go so yeah no i'm here to stay crypto web3 you know i don't see myself sleeping or going anywhere else i hope that's the same and everyone shares the same sentiment so one of my big uh theses behind lobby is that crypto stands to benefit the most people outside the u.s yet most of crypto Uh development and web3 development is happening in the u.s right now Mm. so i think that puts me at an immediate disadvantage um, <laughs> because I think that the technology is going to be best applied to people that don't live here. Uh, mm-hmm. The U.S. like has the strictest regulations around crypto of any country. That's why everyone talks about it. Um, so, like, squeeze, we're not allowed to participate. Um, soon, like, stable coins are not going to be allowed to be involved. So, um, there's so much regulation around securities, but there's also a ton of regulation around finance. So, if someone launches a bad stock and you get screwed, that person's going to jail for a really, really, really long time, and they're not going to like it. In other parts of the world, in most other parts of the world, that's not the case. So uh, I'm actually kind of interested to hear, like, what kinds of things people are using crypto for, aside from just, like, peer-to-peer payments. Uh, In Nigeria, what kind of problems you're finding that it solves? Right, yeah. So one of the most recent interesting ones were... um, so uh, first off, the, there's like a shortage in, in, in dollar here in Nigeria. And we have our purchasing power into trying to get stuff um, abroad. You know, I have to pay for like my Spotify. I have to pay for Netflix. I have to pay for a couple of these services that I use, right? And so because of the devaluation of our currency, the Naira, a lot of the banks have refused to um, give us the access to to basically they they limited how much we could spend from uh you know atm cards uh from a dollar perspective right i think it was capped at like 20 dollars and by the time i paid for i don't know spotify netflix i mean it's done i have i have nothing else to go around and so um that is where crypto comes in um so for example i can purchase gift cards with um um the stable coin and then i can pay for spotify and i can purchase gift cards and i can like you know buy amazon gift cards and then make purchases there and so you know being able to get across all of these these um limitations that we have currently going on in the economy crypto you know really has helped if if there was nothing like crypto you know i don't i think it would have just been a really tedious process to get around all of these things and so so yes, from cross-border from cross-border payments, um, being able to get compensated, to being able to purchase things that would have otherwise not have been possible because of the limitations, um, you know, our financial system has put on on on, on us. Gotcha. So it's really uh, sounds like it's kind of like the the foreign exchange when you need to buy stuff with dollars and uh, kind of like other special weird financial situations. So that's mostly uh, cool that it's like helping. And, and so it sounds like that it, like crypto also the opportunity to plug countries that were otherwise excluded from the global economy back into it. Mm, mm. So that's really cool. Yes, it basically it. takes away that um, you know the, the the limitation that perhaps would have existed. So there is we're, we exist, and I, I like to say this: we exist in a fairly borderless economy thanks to crypto. Mostly, it's um you can quite literally do anything and interact with anyone, and like. Yeah, you know, the internet sort of broke that, you know, made that obvious at first. And then here, crypto comes with the financial incentive to that. And it's like, yeah, no, you can do and be and quite literally anything from anywhere thanks to to the, to the like, peer-to-peer system that crypto affords. Is there any, like, special protocols or apps that are 
popular? Or is it just kind of like using tokens natively? Oh, uh, there are a couple. Um, so first off, we do have um, a local, uh, what's it called? A local uh, cryptocurrency exchange that enables, so again, for the most part, we have to default to Binance to, to uh, what's it called, to get crypto. And, you know, with Binance, you need to, the, the, the process is a lot. But um, some of our Nigerian engineers built a product that simplifies that process and means anyone with Naira, with actual Naira, can interact and purchase crypto and have have access to buy and hold crypto, right? So they're called Bycoins. So Bycoins is, you know, the name of the product. Bycoins Africa solves that problem. Um, and also, you know, a handful of products like uh, I think Laser Pay, you know, helps merchants to, again, accept payments in crypto because of, you know, you can have customers from anywhere in the world. You do not want to be tied to the local currency of the Naira. And so, you know, they're building um, a platform where that's very developer friendly. So developers can integrate, uh, business owners can hire developers and then integrate the API with their product. And then they're able to, you know, uh, charge whoever is buying from anywhere, you know, let's say Japan and they have a stable coin and they need to purchase something that is obviously digitally accessible and they're able to pay, you know, in Nigerian here in, in USDT in a stable coin and they're able to get whatever they're trying to purchase. So a lot of it has to do with economies, right? Economics is, is simplifying commerce rather, and also enabling people to get access to cryptocurrency and again hedge against the inflation and the devaluation of the Naira mostly. That's amazing. Sorry, I know I turned this into a reverse interview. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my last question is really quickly is just like, how's the government feel about this? Are they like more behind it than against it, or are they kind of like trying to stifle it in favor of their own currency? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's not necessarily the case that they are for it. They have imposed a couple of regulations that has um, affected how the ease, you could say, of how, you know, the average individual is able to purchase crypto. There was a time, I think this was sometime in our late 2020, early 21, where the government you know, issued out a a, um, um, a memo that any bank, any, you know, centralized bank that is, basically any user that uses the centralized bank to purchase crypto could have their, their account restricted, right, regardless of the funds in them. And that was, that was terrifying, right, because what the word was out on the street was crypto was banned. And that wasn't what happened. And so this significantly took a lot of people out of crypto, right? A lot of people were like, Yo, crypto is bad. This is illegal. You probably shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, I was in the game and I was like, yeah, no, not really. It wasn't, it's not banned. It's like, yo, don't do this. So essentially, if I were to attempt to purchase um, crypto from, from someone, which we do quite often, and whenever the person is trying to, in this case, wire me the funds and they add in the description anything that relates to crypto. So that would be say bitcoin ethereum usdt or whatever i could get my account restricted <laughs> right so like that's it and I, I you know i've lost um, my account and all of that and you know possibly even i think could we get indicted i don't know for sure but um losing an account is a thing so um the government is doing they haven't made the process particularly seamless i would say uh, but you know i suppose it, it, it and, and the craziest thing honestly is Considering all of the limitations and the regulations, you know, development has thrived regardless. And I suppose you actually do need um, challenges to, to progress. So, yeah, the government has tried to stifle the growth of crypto here in, in Nigeria, but 
we found other ways. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I I can't understand any country wanting to shut down crypto. I think it, it you know it might turn into a game of uh, just don't be first, right? Mm. Because it, it stifles economic growth. It's the opportunity to mm. uh, bring down borders, like you said, operate in a borderless economy. And mm. if there's no borders, you know, you can compete with uh, mm-hmm. like salaries and, and prices mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the world stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're like Sri Lanka and you're selling, I actually don't know what grows in Sri Lanka, um, <laughs> but I'm sure someone in the audience, I'm positive someone in the audience knows. Um, you're trying to sell crops. If you can sell those kind of to, you know, America and Canada, uh, instead of kind of getting wholesale prices and selling to, um, you know, Southeast Asia, you can get just, you can just get better prices. Uh, so why wouldn't you do that? And so the kind of global economy will allow us to all work together. So I really don't understand why any single government would, would want to shut it down. Um, and I think it will probably take a couple countries to start to step up and be like, yeah, we're actually going to endorse this like El Salvador did. Mm-hmm. Um, before everyone else is like, shit, we're getting left out. <laughs> we're getting left out high and dry here. We're, we're being left yeah. out of the future. Don't want to lose our place as number X on the country list or whatever. Yeah. Whatever geopolitical sort of nationalism is going on at the given time. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we'll just quickly head over back to lobby and talk about that. But um, one last thing to say is it's actually quite interesting to be honest that if the Nigerian government and uh, you know embrace crypto a lot more, it will it would significantly change the company the, the country's economic status and, and, and everything in between. And so it's it's ridiculous to be honest to see that, you know, they're handling all of these regulations and they're trying to stifle growth. But I suppose that's just like, you know, what it is. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for letting me go on that tangent. I always loved kind of learning about how crypto's actually being used every day by uh, by people not here for shitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, so just you know, getting really close to rounding this up. Um, I suppose one of what, what would you say, or what are one of the questions or features or insights? One of the things you are particularly excited about about lobby that I must have failed to ask. You know, what is that one thing that is like? This is ridiculously cool about lobby, and I wish everyone knows about this. I would say the thing that everyone should. Uh, go check out if you're in the audience and you're especially if you have a project that you've looked at you're just like trying to learn more about but only know uh where to look try looking up on lobby if you just go to beta.lobby.so uh there's a big search box you can't miss it uh type your questions in there and get answers uh our knowledge base is really good um and we like we'll get on demo calls we'll get on uh customer calls um and people will just kind of like in the background they'll ask some questions and I'll be continuing with my demo, and someone will pipe up and say, oh, by the way, Search is really good. And I didn't even realize they were playing with it the whole time. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Like, uh, it's, um, like, just to learn about Web3, but also to just get an answer back for the very specific question that you have. So play with that. And if you like it, connect your wallet, try out the personal workspace, um, and get access to that exact same search on your very own documents. All right. There we have you, folks. Um yeah so thank you everyone thank you everyone for tuning in again you know check out the guys over at lobby they're doing doing really really cool stuff you can follow wilson and matthew and the entire lobby team and keep up to date if you're curious about web3 like i am you know you know curious about everything from the development the engineering nfts DAOs, and everything i'm pretty much 
you know, have had my hands around everything. And, and it's always very exciting. I jumped into Web3 the moment I heard about it, even when I was still like partly developing like my Web2 career. And, it, you know, it almost doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, why don't you stay here and try to figure things out before you pivot? But I, I couldn't help myself. It was, you could say there was a bit of a shiny object syndrome there. But um, I'm thankful that there was a bit of shiny object syndrome there <laughs> because, um, you know, what would, what would I have done otherwise? And so if you guys are curious about learning anything about Web3, um, please visit lobby.so and uh, follow, you know, Wilson and Matthew and just like geek out on all of this cool stuff they're building. And, and yeah, let's have some fun. So again, lastly, again, you know, please feel free to raise your hands and come in, you know, any final words, thoughts you might have. And um, I don't know if Wilson has something he wants to chip in. I mean, I have something to shill uh, at the end, but I have time. So if anyone's mm. got questions, I got answers. So come mm. on up, give me a few seconds, raise your hand. I want to talk to you. I want to make new friends. That's why I did this in the first place. Mm. So I know someone out there listening, thinking, no, I don't have anything smart to say. And I'm here to say, yes, you do. Raise your hand. Come on up. Yeah, raise your hand. Come on up. Um, so before anyone comes, and I do have, question because again very curious about web3 yeah so um one of the things that i found interesting when you know we're talking about DAOs, and when i was learning about governance with DAOs, i i thought to myself well this doesn't sound as decentralized as it comes off because whoever has the most token has the most vote and so you know what are your thoughts about that and i think vitalik talked about twitter about that yesterday and someone you know said something else but it's if i have let's say one lobby token or let's say 10 lobby tokens and i'm assuming i'm just going to assume that the dynamic and the structure is one person one vote and you know once your token has been used for that particular vote you're down to nine tokens right whoever has 100 tokens basically has way more um uh, you could say voting power in a much more longer term than i do and so how does that exactly um point is in my head it doesn't sound very decentralized so what are your thoughts about that and how how how, how is there a future where we we navigate that so it makes a bit more sense and it's a lot more inclusive yeah. uh this has been fun for me i've learned so much thank you matthew again thank you wilson thank you to daphne's team for bringing this all together <laughs>